Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life, and I feel like we're at a family reunion where we're all together again. I know that there's probably significant people online right now just staying home. Totally understand that. Hello to you guys. Glad you guys are here. Um, It has been almost a month, a month minus a day since I've seen you all, um, all together. Our last one was, uh, was Christmas Eve that we were all here together, then we went on vacation, and then we had to cancel twice. Um, so great to be together. Good to see you guys. Um, so much fun. <clears throat> um, well, uh, I do want to say, if you are online, welcome to you. Glad you've joined us today. And if you guys don't mind here in the room, sometimes I'm going to talk to the online people and invite them to interact with us online. And you are welcome to that, too. If you want to pull out your phone and interact with the online folks there, you can. Um, just turn your volume all the way down. That's what I do, and it's, it's kind of fun to interact that way with people. Um, we are in our second week of our series called Family, where we are exploring the church, that's us, alive in Christ. And we're not just talking about our church, although that's part of it, we're the local church. We're talking about how we're alive with Christ um, and united with Christ with other churches. In Muhammad, of all over central Illinois, of all over the world, we are together united with Christ. And that is a fantastic thing to think about. I'm a person that is um, ecumenical, which all that means is like, I believe that God is working in every church. I don't think like uh, that we have all the perfect answers in this church right here, but um, that the church is led by Christ and we are united with him. Do I think we have the greatest church in the world? Yes. (laughs) But I still see other churches as as really valuable. Um, So we're in our second week looking at this Um, how we are family together. Um, And this is a series that we're going through that is through the book of Ephesians. So the book of Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to his friends in Ephesus. And so that's why we call it Ephesians. And this letter, it centers around the theme of the church being this new family of God, a living temple in his presence. Like we are the new temple. The church is a living organism where um, we have relationships that are adapting and changing. We, there's these outside forces that affect us, like, I don't know, things like, I don't know, coronavirus maybe. And we adapt to that and we are a family together and we move through that. We grow, we adapt, we respond to God's work in our lives. And so as we begin this new year, we want to set our focus on being a family, building the family growing our community, experiencing God's love and presence, not alone, but together as family. We're not meant to do the spiritual life alone. And so this book, it gives us uh, such a rich identity of who we are as the church and what our purpose is and how we live our lives in response to the great and glorious plan of God. Have you ever been to the Sears Tower? Raise your hand if you've been to the Sears Tower. If you're online, let us know when the last time you went to the Sears Tower was. Yes, so probably half of you in here have been to the Sears. It's the Willis Tower now, isn't it? Um, I'm not going to change. Come on. Um, It'll always be the Sears Tower in my brain. 
Um, but I think if you go to the top, I think they call it the sky deck. Um, and when you get up there, there are these beautiful views that overlook the city of Chicago. You can stay up there for hours and just look and look and just take it all in, all these beautiful views. You get this incredibly unique perspective. And so if you've never been to Chicago for, before and you want to go see the lay of Chicago, what it looks like, you want to get a lay of the land, one of the first things you should do is go to the Sears Tower and look at everything. You can see everything up there. I haven't visited the top in a couple decades. I'd love to go back. But I remember going up there last time, I, I don't know, I was probably less than 10, I would guess. And um, they had these little plaques where you could look out and you could see the different buildings. And then on these plaques, they would tell you what those buildings were. Maybe if it was a historical one like the Hancock Center, it would tell you more about that. Or you could see Navy Pier. It would say, this is Navy Pier. Here's why it's important. And so you can see all these little things. Um, you can see the Chicago River and, and all the streets that are important. And it isn't the most the fullest or the most complete way to see the city. For that, you might want to try like a month-long Segway tour, right? Just ride your Segway tour up and down the streets for a month, every street of Chicago. But what the Sky Deck offers is this breathtaking view of an entire landscape that help us, helps us comprehend the layout of the city. Here's why I'm telling you about the Sears Tower. That, that kind of view of God and his good plan for our our lives. That's what we have here in Ephesians. It's like this overlooking view. It isn't the most complete view of God's plan. For that, you'd have to take a year-long segue tour through every verse in the Bible, right? Studying all that. But Ephesians does give us this beautiful view that helps us comprehend God and his beautiful story that we're invited into. And so in Ephesians, we get this sky deck view of God's plan for us. One theme after another. We gain insight into these heavenly views about God, the, about God, about the world, about the church, about means of salvation, about sin, about Christian behavior, about what our lives and our families should look like, how we treat our wives, how we treat our kids, how we treat our husbands, how we treat each other. We get all these great views, this over arching view. And all these topics are found right here in Ephesians. And so you can picture us now as we embark into chapter two of this letter that we're sitting on the sky deck of Ephesians. And we're looking down on the entire story of scripture, of God's beautiful plan for us. And we're going to go to each window of the sky deck in the next few weeks and look at each section of God's story and what it means for our lives. And so today we're looking out this window of Ephesians down on this defining feature of Scripture that we as Christians are united with Christ. We as Christians are united with Christ. And this, this is what makes us family, that we are united with Christ. Now, don't let the familiarity of that phrase keep you from missing its significance. Some of you have heard this phrase over and over. If you've been in the church for some time, you've probably heard that you're united with Christ. For others of you, this might be a brand 
new concept for you. Like, you've never heard that before. And I am thrilled that today is your first time hearing that. That's awesome. And we're going to see how that is, how it is that we're united with Christ, and what that means for us today, why that's important. So let's read together. We're going to be in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Now, usually I put all of the scripture on the screen. Today, I want you to find it on your own. Like, look in your phone. If you've got a device, you can look up Ephesians 2. If you've got your paper Bible, um, you can look it up. Ephesians 2 is near the back of your Bible. Um, and follow along with me. I think it's important that you follow along with me so that as I'm preaching, as I'm teaching, you guys can kind of look back at it if you want. Um, highlight different things. Look at different words that pop out to you. Just don't take my word for it. Um, isn't that what the Reading Rainbow guy would always say? Don't take my word for it. Go get the book yourself. Any Reading Rainbow fans? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Four of you, great. Um, I grew up on Reading Rainbow. So don't take my word for it. Um, you know, look in the scripture for yourself. Follow along with me. And you might have a different version that I'm going to read from. Um, and that's okay. You'll get more out of it, I think, as you see different words that are said. So we are in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, as he is the spirit in the, at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our flesh. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The things talked about here in Ephesians 2 they're one of the anchor points of our faith. If we don't properly understand what's in this passage, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we won't understand the rest of Ephesians. It's the foundation on which this letter is built. And as the series is called Family, it's the foundation of our faith family as well. A foundation that we are united with Christ because of God's great 
love for us. Now, every family has things that make them family, right? You may have shared memories, common experiences, inside jokes. Maybe everybody in your family has that weird long middle toe. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's DNA, big ears, traditions. Everybody has that thing, those things that unite them and make them family, even if it's not just DNA. Let me share with you this story about this family who lived in London. This is a true story. The patriarch of the family was 76 years old. His name uh, was Bill. And his wife had died some years ago. And he met a woman named Edna. And they ended up marrying a year later. Edna, though, was not a stranger to the family. She happened to be his granddaughter's, so his granddaughter's husband's mother. That's who Edna was to Bob, uh, Bill. So, um... So they had kind of a new family dynamic where um, there's this kind of confusion of who was related to who and how. And so according to Bill's granddaughter, Lynn, she said this. See if you can follow along because I can't. I'm just reading it. My mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my stepfather-in-law. My mom is my sister-in-law. And my brother is my nephew. But even crazier, it doesn't stop there. Now I'm married to my uncle and my own children are my cousins. I could follow along to the last part. I I tried to get that in my head. Maybe you can get it. Now our faith family, it doesn't have to be that complicated. This truth in Ephesians that unites us is pretty simple. We are united with Jesus. It's deep. It's powerful, it's deeply spiritual, but it's not complicated. So let's look into the beauty of this foundation some more in these verses. You'll notice that Ephesians 2 is divided pretty easily into three sections. So we've got verses 1 through 3, and this talks about the life that we are saved from. And then at the end, you have verses 8 through 10, and they tell us about the life that we're saved for. And in the middle, verses 4 through 7, they tell us how we get to the life that we're saved from to the life that we're saved for. How that happens, the means by which we get to have that life with Jesus. And so, how do we get to do these things that Christ planned for us, these good things that Christ planned for us long ago, as verse 10 says? And so, let's begin in the life that we're saved from. Paul uses some pretty uncomfortable language here, doesn't he? Like to describe where we've come from. I mean, no one wants to think about being obedient to the devil, as he says, or having Satan work in your heart, as Paul writes. That's, I don't, I don't want to think about that. Like that's, that's kind of dark, Paul. Why, are you, why you got to start there? Um, the reason, well, and then he goes on to say, um, Oh no, that's that's where he stops. That the that the having uh, that Satan is working in our hearts, but that's where the good news of Jesus begins for us. That's where it begins. That we can be saved even from our worst actions, our worst thoughts, our worst sins. And so the reason Paul doesn't keep it nice and fluffy to make us feel good is because he wants you to know 
what you're forgiven for. It's not just the, the test you cheated on in high school, you know? Like it goes to the deepest core of us, to the deepest things we've ever done, we are forgiven for. And that gets me excited. I'm glad Paul, he doesn't pull any punches here. It's important for us to know the great depths of Christ's love and therefore forgiveness for us. Friends, this passage isn't just for new believers or people who don't know Jesus yet. This is for us that have been following Jesus for a week, a year, a decade, or a century. That we are continually forgiven. This passage is for us every day. Because I don't know about you, but when I, after I became a Christian, I didn't stop sinning. If you did, let me know. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Um, but I didn't stop sinning. Like, I still do wrong things, things that hurt God's heart. And so this verse is for us, that we are still forgiven. We'll get into that some more later. This word flesh in verse 3, it's an interesting one. In the context, um, flesh doesn't mean like your physical body here or like the physical sins you might do. It refers to your self-centered human nature. That's the thing that makes our world all about us, right? And what we desire. So much so that we're willing to make choices that hurt others, that hurt God. We put ourselves first because we care about ourselves the most. Um, we're willing to turn our backs on God and others to fulfill our selfish desires of our hearts. And so that's what the flesh is talking about, that selfish desire. And so if humanity is on this fast track towards ruin, as Paul points out in these first couple verses, following our selfish desires with our hearts, Martin Luther once said that our hearts, when describing sin, our hearts are curved in on themselves. That's kind of like the selfish, I, I like that analogy, that way he brings it. Our hearts are curved in on themselves. We only care about ourselves. And so what's the solution? We're on this fast track to ruin. What's the solution? We receive the answer in verse 4 when Paul says, but God. There's a few but God passages in the Bible, and they're all awesome. I love this one. Um, he starts out, but God, and, and then um, he goes in to talk about when God sent Jesus to be God with us living and walking among us. Jesus revealed to us a new way to live. The way life was really meant to be lived. Not with our hearts curved in on themselves, but as N.T. Wright says, he says, when God acted in Jesus the Messiah, he not only revealed himself fully, he revealed fully what genuine human life was like. And it turned out to be deeply self-sacrificial. And that brings us to verse 4, the solution on which we can rely to solve this problem of our hearts being curved in on them, themselves, our sin in our hearts. But God, but God, because he is rich in mercy, because he loves us so much, here's what he does. We read in verse 5, he gives us life. He saves us through grace. Verse 6, he raises us from the dead along with Christ. He seats us with him in heaven. And we are united 
with Christ. All of those things given to us through God's grace and kindness. Verse 7. Some of those things are difficult for us to comprehend. We can, to an extent, understand some of those things like his mercy, his love, the life he gives us, how he saves us through grace. There's nothing we can do to earn that. These things, they're common enough if you've been around church for any period of time. They might be familiar to you, but these three things at the end, they seem a little weird, don't they? If you look down there, um, it says this, that we're raised from the dead along with Christ. That's kind of a, a weird thing to say. Here's another one, that we're, we're seated with him in heaven. And it talks about that in present tense. Like right now, not future, you will be, but it's a present tense. We are seated with him in heaven. And then we are united with Christ. Those are kind of odd things to say. What do they mean? Well, the best way to understand that um, is to look at this part where it says seated with him in the heavenly places. To his readers, to Paul's readers as they were reading this, that phrase would have given them an, uh, an image of a hero coming home from war after this great victory of like going to battle and having some huge victory against this evil army that they were against and coming home, having a parade in the streets and then the king of that land would take that warrior or that general, whoever it was, and he would be seated right next to the king, like in the king's glory after this great victory. And that, that king's honor um, would then become the, the hero's honor as well. And now that's, that's the image that we have of Jesus. And we're told now that we are sitting there with Jesus next to God, united with him in his place of honor. Again, we didn't go out and have this great victory. We didn't do anything to earn this. It's only by his grace. And so what Paul is trying to convey is that what is true of Jesus in his place of honor is also true of us. His righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, perfect life is now ours. Jesus' holiness is now imparted to us. For a lot of Christians, this is a hard concept to understand because, man, it sure doesn't feel like I am enthroned with Christ when I'm yelling at my kids, right? It sure doesn't feel like I'm enthroned with Christ when, let's say yesterday I was going to Costco, it was just hypothetical, I was going to Costco and decided I was going to run a stop sign because I thought the person would stop for me and the person flicked me off and I just didn't care. It's hard for me to believe that in those moments of choosing myself, having my heart curved in on myself, that I am enthroned with Christ. Because even as Christians, we're still sinful. We still turn our backs on God. We still follow our selfish desires. So how can it be that we're still seated with him even in our sin? We're told in the next verses, because of God's great grace and kindness, that we get to have that. That even though our selfish hearts run deep, God's grace and forgiveness is even deeper still. 
And that takes ongoing faith to believe that. It's just not a, a one-time, Jesus, I believe in you faith. That is an ongoing faith to believe that even in your deepest sin, God's grace is for you. Because while we were still sinning, even before we turned our backs on God, Christ died for us. So that we can be alive with him in the presence of God, fully forgiven, fully redeemed, fully united with him. Again, it's nothing that we've done. It's no work that we've accomplished. That's what verse 10 is saying, that we are his masterpiece. His masterpiece, not our own. We didn't do anything. We, maybe you work on yourself. It's New Year's, like you have these uh, resolutions, and that's awesome. But it's no work that we've done. We say yes to Jesus, and he does the work. There's no toiling to get to this point where um, we are united with Jesus. It is just a yes to him, and he does that work in us. Some versions translate that, wor- that word masterpiece as workmanship, and it's God's work. It's not our own. When we let, when we let the workmanship become our own, we end up taking the place of God, and we try to do something that we are never created to do. And oftentimes... That ends up just creating empty religion. We're just doing good things for the sake of doing good things so we can feel good about ourselves. It's just another way that our selfish heart reveals itself. And that's why I think these verses are so freeing for us. They start off with a good gut punch of who we've been and who we we were before Jesus. And at the end, we are overwhelmed by his grace and kindness. And so now, what do we do with all these gifts? Well, that's what the rest of Ephesians is about. The rest of Ephesians is about what we do with them, how, how we act as a family of Christ with this gift of being united with Christ. But Paul does give us this nice little teaser for the rest of Ephesians in verse 10 as he wraps up this section. He says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, here's why he's created us anew. So, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So that's what we'll be looking for in these next uh, chapters in Ephesians. But for now, we must know that as people who have said yes to Jesus, we've accepted his forgiveness. It is an ongoing faith to say yes to Jesus every day, every hour. Even when it feels like, man, I just can't stop sinning. I can't stop doing things that are against God. You, in your repentance, are forgiven immediately. And it takes an ongoing faith to accept that. You are enthroned with Christ in his glory, receiving all the benefits of Jesus as as he is our high priest, um, prophet, and king. He imparts those gifts to us. Let's pray together. Jesus, you have given us so much for nothing. And we are so thankful for that. We, are, we praise you for being a God that, that knows what we need, know where we've come from, You look at that and you say, wipe it all out. 
They wipe all that past out. Any wrong thing you've done. So Jesus, I I thank you for that in my own life. I thank you for that in the church's life. I thank you that we together get to be family with you. Sitting in heaven with you. Even today. So Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And we worship you now. Amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org lifemohammed.org